Welcome to Deconstructed, the podcast of the Grand Valley Construction Association. I'm your host, Jeff McIntyre. We talk with construction industry leaders to break down the issues affecting our businesses. The objective is to understand them better and move towards building a stronger and more collaborative construction industry here at home and across Canada. Today's guest on Deconstructed is Luke Anderson. Luke Anderson grew up in Toronto area, Stouffville in particular, um, did his civil engineering degree at the University of Waterloo, and currently uh, has the role of executive director of Stopgap. So Luke, welcome to the Deconstructed podcast. Yeah. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for inviting me to share a little bit about my life and my journey. Yeah. Thanks a lot. So we'll get into Stopgap in a minute, but I think it's important that you share normally i would give a bit more preamble about the history of the person but i think it needs to be told through your words so um i say what what got you to this point today so having this discussion and what it's all about so i'm gonna hand it over to you and uh and, and please share your journey yeah yeah well you mentioned that that i grew up in stoville and yeah i think it was well i know that it was during my my time in high school uh, and the, a part time job that uh, that I held at a sporting goods store that that is a significant part of the journey to where we are right now because it it led me to um, an introduction to uh, mountain biking. I was a gifted athlete uh, throughout high school and um, into my early twenties. Um, and, and I became a, a fanatic, a real passionate, um, mountain biker, um, went to the university of Waterloo and I, I graduated from Waterloo civil engineering program in 2002. And I wanted to live a dream, uh, riding my bike in the very best place, uh, area of the country, if not the world, uh, that being the interior of BC. So wrapped up my last, I remember, yeah, finishing my last exam, uh, and driving, driving to Rossland, uh, which I had visited the year prior and, and was just like completely in awe with, um, with that part of our, of our country. It's just gorgeous, uh, gorgeous place <laughs> to mountain bike and, and live and then connect with other enthusiasts living the dream and and so it was uh late in the the riding season so october of 2002 when i was riding with a, a good friend of mine um on a trail just outside of rossland and it is there's a section of the trail that involved jumping a big 25 foot gap and uh i watched my friend johnny jump the gap successfully and yeah there's this this kind of chasing or hunger for adrenaline in a, an extreme sport like mountain biking. And I, I wanted to experience that same rush. Uh, when I tried it, I, I came up short on, on the landing and I crashed, flew over the handlebars and landed head first, breaking a couple of vertebrae in my upper spine, causing a spinal cord injury. So in a split second, yeah, my life changed completely. And, and, uh, I was all of a sudden introduced to a world that that's really not well suited for someone 
that uses a mobility aid. And over time, over time, I, I became increasingly frustrated trying to navigate my, my world, my community, the, the places that I was visiting. It seemed like everywhere I went, I, I was met with challenges, barriers that prevented me from accessing spaces that I, they, that I wanted to enjoy. So Luke, before you go on, as, a, as an individual who is fearful of injury, I do, you know, I'm not, I'm certainly not a, a thrill seeker. Uh, I get it. I see it and I'm, in, I'm energized by it, but it scares the shit out of me as a parent and now a grandparent. You just described my worst nightmare. I've heard you say this twice and I, I cringe both times. Um, you know, it's just amazing how, like, how did the support mechanism and everything that had to be required, family and friends, and I mean, everything changed in that moment. My, my world and, and everybody in close contact with, with me, their world, my affiliation changed in that split second. And I hold, I hold um, two truths, two truths. One, one of those truths is a deep feeling of, of, of um, grief for a life that I, that I once, once had, uh, I, I mourn the, 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 the loss of, of access to the physical activities and the enjoyment that I got from, you know, working with my hands. I was, I, I, I was very interested in auto mechanics. And at the time I was building a timber frame home with a, a, a master carpenter in Rossland and was really, in, really, really loving that, that learning journey and being a part of, of, um, of that, uh, of that world. I love physical exertion and, and I, 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 I hold a lot of grief for that way of life. Um, so that's one truth. The other truth is, is this sense of, gratitude and you know more increasingly over time uh an awareness of this situation being a gift a gift that's that's brought me into a new realm of understanding about a different way of life and 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 you know these issues that i bump into uh as a result of my disability are are issues that i believe are shared uh, with all of us, regardless of whether we live with a disability or not, you know these these issues that I bump into, and and the eventual solutions that get put into place to enable me to make it easier for for me to access spaces or um, or places make life easier for all of us. And and so I've I've chosen and I recognize that you know that call it tragic situation um that happened now over over 20 years ago can be seen can be seen as a gift it, you know it's taken me a long time to get to that that place of, of recognizing um my crash as a gift but I, I i i am able i am able to carve out some space within me to to see it as that yeah, I, I applaud that. So, you know, on behalf of 
us that don't have accessibility issues and on behalf of those that do thank you very much for for that when you, when when you meet we we're, when i met you online i never met you personally i listened to you and immediately sent you a comment to you know thank you for your perspective you, you shared your journey kind of back into the work world which really got you to this to to, to this understanding both you know what some of the solutions were but some of the some of the frustrations and the barriers and the empathy required and you were leaning on people um, can you share that yeah yeah uh i was i was mentioning um earlier about the frustration that i that i was starting to encounter and that i was kind of harboring about you know, constantly bumping up against barriers that were preventing me from being able to access spaces. And yeah, I, I, I had a great job at an engineering firm, loved the projects that, that I was working on. Um, the people, my colleagues were fantastic, but there's, there's a really big issue with, with the building that the office was in. It had, it had three steps that separated the sidewalk level from the elevator lobby level. So every time I needed to get in and out of the building, you know, old heritage building, downtown Toronto. Uh, I needed to rely on someone to help set up this heavy folding aluminum ramp. And so that, that situation that I had to deal with for at least two times a day added to the frustration that I was already experiencing, not being able to access space on an equal basis. Did you feel um, like you were leaning on your your coworkers, and did you, how were you comfortable with that, or or was that was that a discomfort? Oh, it was an, yeah. Whether it, it was co a coworker or, or perhaps I was there, you know, wanting to visit the office off hours and, and needing to drag somebody, uh, a stranger, off the street. It was many times where where I I needed to, you know, get somebody a complete stranger to help set up this ramp and. You know, march them through the process. Uh, regardless of who was helping me out, this was a, a a really uncomfortable situation. The ramp is super heavy. It take it, it took at least you know ten minutes to to go through the whole ordeal of deploying it, packing it up, putting it away again, uh, and and yeah, I, I every time every time I needed to deal with the situation i always there's always a little bit of i don't know guilt or or uh like uneasiness about needing to rely on somebody else to help set up this ramp to help me get into a space i and i wasn't meeting my own needs for spontaneity and independence so, so I've, yeah, I've connecting those feelings with some un, unmet needs on my end, because I, I think that really that that's something that, that we all deserve. We all have a human right to equal access. And for me, that that situation was not not equal access. So what happened? Like, how long did that last? And what was you know, what was what ha what happened as a result of that? And, you know, and that's where you got, you know, introduced stopgap. So what you know, mm -hmm. what was your motivation at that point and you know, where did you go with it? Yeah. So, so I just, I love to invite people to kind of think about what that situation might, might feel like. So I had to deal with that for, for almost eight years. <laughs> yeah. So imagine what that would be like 
there may be a place that you you or anybody listening right now might frequent on a regular basis. That could be your home or your place of work somewhere in the community where you'd need to rely on someone else to help access a space. Yeah. And then, so the frustration that I felt with that, with that situation and, and the learnings that were coming out of the ramp being deployed, the learnings, meaning all of these other people that loved using the ramp when it was out. So delivery people, the elderly people with, temporary disabilities due to an injury, parent pushing a stroller. All of these people loved using the ramp when it was out. And, and, you know, there was a double set of doors to this office building and the ramp would be deployed on the left side. And I remember, I'd say nine, more than nine people out of 10 would choose to use the ramp side rather than the step side, which they, they could totally use. It was not a double, double door. Both were operable. And, and so that the learnings that came from using that ramp over that extended period of time just told me and my coworker, Michael, uh, who often helped set up the ramp, we were like, we really need to, to bring these, these learnings, these teachings, these, these important conversations that we were having outside of the office when the ramp was left out. We, we needed to take those, uh, those messages that to a broader audience, to a, a bigger community beyond the front of the office building. And that, that was at that moment, we were like, we got to do something about this. And uh, that was when we thought, well, why don't we, why don't we paint a bunch of custom suited, deployable, brightly painted access ramps for, for locations with a single stepped entryway um, and, and draw attention to this issue. So we saw the single step situation as kind of low hanging fruit and, and a real, you know, doable, um, a doable situation that we could, that we could solve with simply by, by building a, a, a easy to construct ramp, uh, custom suited ramp. And, and that's when, yeah, that's when the stopgap foundation was, was conceived and and we 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 launched our first project in the Toronto's Junction neighborhood in in 2011, where we yeah we connected with 13 businesses with with a single stepped entryway and you know what what, what we thought Jeff was would we thought thought it would be a one off project and we we thought that that would be a one and done okay we'll just you know do this this once and we we would achieve our, our awareness raising goals but clearly. The project was well received. It was uh, quickly being being requested that we do the same type of work in different communities all over all over Toronto, and and so we did. We brought our awareness raising efforts to places like Roncesvalles and Toronto and Kensington Market, all along College Street and the Danforth, and uh, word spread through uh, media attention and just word of mouth and some of our social media uh, posts allowed us to get our message out to communities all over Canada. And so we were able to mobilize um, fellow accessibility advocates and, and champions who, who wanted to bring our awareness raising messages to their communities. And so we've been 
supporting those efforts uh, ever since. So uh, the the thought of accessibility is not, and I think, and I love the way you brought that forward to say, you know, one or two steps can be a barrier to entry, not just if you're, you know, you happen to be in a in a wheelchair or limited mobility. I mean, the access to parents, the access to the elderly is is fascinating. And, uh, and I applaud you for that. And I love the number that, you know, people will take the most convenient and easy route because we don't know what's behind, you know, what's behind their decision and, you know, why they're choosing to do that. Um, so how are we doing? So, you know, we can break this into two things, two buckets. And, and the reason I asked that is because when we were on the uh, webinar last week, I typed in a question into the chat and I said, is the design and architectural industry fully aware, fully compliant, and have they fully embraced this? And I saw the face palm, the head down face palm. So is it, or how are how are we doing? I understand retrofit and there's always challenges like that, but how are we doing in new build and design and how do you, like what type of input and, and what, what, what can we do better? Yeah, we, ha- we have a long, a long way to go in terms of improving on uh, building, building spaces that are accessible. Uh, there's a fixation on just, yeah, doing things kind of the way we've always done them. Um, there's a fixation on following building code verbatim. And that's not enough. So, yeah, even if uh, a designer was following uh, the AODA, which references the, the Ontario Building Code, that that leaves us with, in many cases, a situation that that just does not meet all of the needs of those with disabilities. In fact, I was at a an event uh, last week where I learned that if a designer was following the AODA and and, and OBC uh, verbatim. We'd be left with a, say it was a you know high-rise residential situation, be left with a building that is only fifty percent accessible. So, so that is fascinating. Again, I look at it from from my perspective, and I see a ramp, or I see door opener, and I I assume it's uh, it's working. But but thank you so much for sharing the fact that it's not. It's not no. So we have to go. We have to go above and beyond what what code is asking for and and really what we're what we're needing to do uh, as designers and planners and um a, a, any 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 role that we play in the in the construction process is, is to really involve as many voices as many different lived experiences as possible so so that includes members of uh the disabled community that that includes um, people uh, that um, you know, maybe maybe couriers even or or the elderly, all, all of these all of these different people who um, who who benefit and and require a barrier free amenity. And I you know I would I would go so far as to say that we we are all connected to this issue at some point in our lives we will find ourselves experiencing a shift in the way that, that we move around our communities sim- simply due to the, the you know, natural aging process. So it's, it's in our best interest that we design spaces that, that meet all of our needs. Now we, 
we find ourselves selves right now um, here in Canada, where where most post secondary design uh, institutions do not offer standard curriculum um, around accessibility and 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 universal or inclusive design, and that was reflected at a, a, a an event that I went to a few weeks ago um, here in Toronto at the U of T School of Architecture. Um, a lot of uh, uh, master students had their had their thesis projects out on display, and and yeah, I, I, I there there were some there were some examples of of um, models that celebrated accessible features, uh, but predominantly, I I noticed a lot of those models featured steps, stepped entryways, uh, the the celebration of feature staircases, which hey, I try to hold some reverence for, um, but I, I didn't see a similar celebration of accessible features. So that, that to me tells me that we're sending design professionals out into the, the construction industry without the necessary training and awareness about these big, these big issues that, that I believe affect all of us. Wow. You mentioned Canada. And I'll add a word in, I'm going to add a word behind Canada, winter. <laughs> how, does, uh, how does winter play into this? Uh, good, yeah, how does winter play into this? Well, um, yeah, there, so we've, yeah, we've just come, come out of a, a long, another long winter. And uh, yeah, I live in, I live in Toronto and, and the city of Toronto has always had a challenge with snow removal. Um, and, and this past winter was particularly challenging because the city entered some new snow removal contracts and, and the, the specifics about the different operators and the equipment just was a total disaster where, you know, two weeks after a snowfall, there was still snow pile up at intersections. And uh, the accessibility spans beyond ramps and, and steps and elevators and um, tactile surfaces. Uh, it extends into our, our policies and our, our contracts with snow removal operators. It, it extends into the digital realm and how we are setting up our websites for, for so that they're they're accessible for those say with with vision loss, um, accessibility uh, extends into the language that we use when when referring to people with disabilities. There, there's many realms where we are to inform ourselves to the best of our ability. Changing gears just a second. There's a superhero out there. You, I, I understand you've never been seen in the same room as this individual. <laughs> Who is the superhero, and what is uh, what is he trying to accomplish? Yeah, I believe you're you're uh, you're referring to Ramp Man, and uh, you're right. Ramp Man and and I have never been seen in the same room together. Uh, he he's out that he's out out there busting barriers, ramp, uh, masked and caped superhero who embodies stopgap's core value of, of having fun raising awareness about the importance of accessibility and inclusion and, and barrier free spaces so 
quirky, quirky individual. Uh, a lot of great videos featuring Rap Man on Stopgap's YouTube channel. So feel free to enjoy those. Uh, but but we, yeah, Rap Man, like I said, embodies our core value of having fun. And when when we Michael and I first started on our awareness raising journey, we set out with the intention of having fun with the work. So Rap Man and the colorful um, our color choices really help us instill this this kind of feeling of fun and 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 levity when when addressing a really challenging topic that like you like you mentioned earlier Jeff might bring up some fear might bring up some fear when we hear stories about disability or or we we find ourselves experiencing maybe a lack of awareness around design or perhaps not knowing how to connect with someone with a disability or or what language to use so so you know meeting meeting the work with with fun an intention to have fun an intention to to bring some levity to a challenging topic and 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 a you know, underserved uh, realm of of uh, of design and 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 um, uh, particularly the construction industry that has served us really well. The uh, the intent this this podcast is called deconstructed, and the intent is to break down the big industry into its little pieces. It's not demolition; it's deconstruct to understand how the pieces work better. Um, and then build a better a model. So for this alone, the awareness and the acknowledgement of the fact that what I see appears to be compliant and what you're telling me it's not. So what is the answer and what would better look like? Is it is it enforcement? Is it education? Is it a combination of both? What What's going to get us to a, to a better solution for the entire population? Yeah, I th- for me the foundational uh, aspect of the work that we do is education. So education and awareness, uh, education through awareness raising is, uh, is number one. And the ramps secondary to their uh, ability to educate and raise awareness is their ability to remove a barrier. So I think enforcement plays, plays a big part. Um, but I'm, I'm really motivated to bring people together like, like we did uh, last week during the talk that, that you were able to take part in. Um, I believe that, that that is a really, really important step to help people have uh, uh, an opportunity to tune into the perspectives that they hold and maybe some of the, the areas where they might be holding some bias through um through through some ignorance that they might be holding and like i said during that talk it's okay all of that all of that is 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 just part of the learning journey uh we're all we're all somewhere on 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 our journey um some are needing some some more help to get caught up and that's okay yeah so um, yeah, Ramp Man, I'm remembering, gifted us this this invitation to to be okay. 
saying the wrong thing, to be okay um, with with being in a place of not knowing. And 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 I can bring my own lived experience of not knowing anything about any of the the stuff that that I'm working on today, any of the stuff that we've been talking about during our time together. All of it was was the farthest thing off of my radar. I think of uh, a former mentor of mine who was an architect and he was designing, I believe it was a hospital. And I, I, I wish I knew exactly the details, but he and his colleagues, he, they sat in wheelchairs and, and wheeled themselves around the hospital for a period of time, a good afternoon to understand the barriers and that. So th- that's that takes someone who seeks beyond the minimum standard, as you talked about, or the current building code. You know, there's a practical and tactical. If you had a wish list right now and you could amplify out your desire to the community, I think you've done a lot of it already, but, you know, practical and tactical tips to the listeners and those, you know, those people in the industry, what would those things be? What, you know, how to, obviously cognizant understanding, but is there any tips or tricks that uh, you would you would love to embed into their minds? Yeah, okay. I I would love to invite everyone to do a little homework and and just Google uh, empowering language use when referring to people with disabilities. There's lots of great resources out there, uh, but just make sure that, that you tune into the most updated set of resources because language is a, an evolving topic. Um, so, so do a Google search on, on um, empowering language use when referring to people with disabilities. Um, and I think another important invitation would be to invite, uh, invite a, a little bit of a leaning in to the fear that might be experienced when connecting with someone with a disability. Uh, lean into a little bit of that fearful feeling that might come with not knowing um, about what to do to go beyond building code. And and that involves reaching out to uh, advocates, um, accessibility consultants. There are people out there with, with the expertise and the knowledge that, uh, that have connections to the disabled community. Uh, I think that that's a really, a really important step that, that speaks to what I was talking about before, making sure that we have many voices contributing to design decisions. Yeah, so those would be two, two very actionable steps that, that, that people can take. And, you know, maybe doing, doing a little bit of homework and, 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 and research or study on uh, the two, uh, two design two design methods, one being universal design and the other, the other being inclusive design. Um, so universal design thrives in a, in a a physical space where there's, there's like physical objects that we're designing. Uh, there's, there's seven design principles that, that kind of found the, uh, found and grounded the universal design process. The inclusive design process is, is, um, uh, a baby of the, the inclusive design, uh, in, a universal design process thrives in the digital space where there's room for uh, lots of flexibility and automation and, and uh, zero physical contact can layer in um, 
uh, geography and age, uh, socioeconomic situations. So, so that, that, that's like a whole other podcast, the, right. the, the discussion between universal and inclusive design, but yeah, doing, doing some homework and, and, and reading up on, on those two different design methodologies would, would go a long way in, in everyone's journey to, to learning more. So Luke, I'm the third smartest person in this discussion, and there's only two of us. Um, what I did come away from when I when I met you initially was a bit of embarrassment and an and understanding that I don't like what I look at and what I see is not work. So I, this is me acknowledging the fact that myself, I can't speak on behalf of an entire industry, but the discussions about designer and architects and minimum code is is important. So I'd like to keep this discussion going. And whether that's uh, education, symposium, whatever. So, stopgap. How can we help you? I have an, you know, we have an association of seven hundred and so members, and and an audience of that and beyond. What what can we do to amplify? A, where do we find you? And B, what what can we do to help um, to amplify this? Uh, floor is yours. Yeah, I I, I love that. Um, well, certainly, certainly signing up for Stopgap's newsletter. Hopping on our hopping on Stopgap's website to learn more about what we're up to, um, but I, I recently took on the role of vice chair of the Accelerating Accessibility Coalition. So the work is all about um, raising awareness about the importance of accessible residential um, construction, and and our our work is intended to increase the uh, accessible residential housing stock. Here, here in Ontario, you know, we have a goal to create uh, many, 1, 1.5 million new homes over the next 10 years. And there's a sh huge shortage of, of accessible residential options. Um, so the coalition is, is um, bringing together a membership that is sharing resources. So we have a, a toolkit that we're populating. So it's so a working um, kind of toolkit that, that, uh, members can can add valuable information to uh, so so I I'd love I'd love to invite anybody listening to to join the accessible uh, accelerating accessibility coalition um, and uh, and be a part of of um, of our work learning and and removing barriers through through that through that means. So here's our com my commitment to you is to amplify stopgap introduce the world to Luke. You know, your your situation was in, is an incredibly unfortunate, but chances are without that accident, without the work you're doing, you and I would probably never interact. So you're a gift. Mm -hmm. um, and I and I really want to thank you for uh, for sharing what you shared and really making me aware and hopefully those that are listening that, you know, accessibility and disability doesn't necessarily mean wheelchair or like there's so much more to it, so that's that's very very broad. Um, we will we will keep in touch, and we will find ways to amplify and uh, and share the story, and challenge the status quo, and push a little harder. So whatever we can do as an industry, that'd be great. Stopgap.ca, I believe, is the uh, is it ca or .com. Sorry, you got it. Stopgap.ca, and and yeah, disruption is so key to creating the change that we want to see in yeah, our world. So. So here's my commitment to you is uh, to continually be a shit disturber to make sure that those your voice and others are uh, are amplified. Um, thank you so much for your time. This is we're just scratching the surface, but uh, 
just enlightened even more the second time talking to you and certainly won't be the last. So Luke Anderson, uh, Executive Director of StopCap, it has been a pleasure and um, wish you all the best and keep it up. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for listening to Deconstructed, the podcast of the Grand Valley Construction Association. You can subscribe to Deconstructed in your favorite podcast app to get notified when it's live. If you want to learn more about the Grand Valley Construction Association or know someone we should have on the show, please contact me at jeff at gvca.org.